I would like to introduce our speaker today, Josiah Grauman. He serves in the Spanish ministry and is our pastor here at Grace, also training the Spanish-speaking pastors and teachers at the Expository Institute. Josiah and his wife, Crystal, have three children, Abigail, Noah J., and Silas. So let's welcome Josiah and hear what he has to do, share his ministry. Thank you. Well, good morning, ladies. Oh, it's afternoon. Sorry. I just said good morning an hour ago. haven't updated my c- clock yet. Well, it's a privilege to be here, uh, as it is almost every year that I get to share with you. Um, I thought um, what we do is just um, give kind of a general presentation of what I've been doing lately, what I've been up to lately. Um, and then some of you have already asked questions about family and Silas and health and stuff, so if there's time, I'll try so that there's not time, but if there's time, uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Um, but kind of the, the more exciting thing that has happened, at least in uh, ministry in EDEX and in Spanish ministry, is that we had our first ever uh, Spanish conference. It was a conference for pastor teachers. It was here at the end of August. Um, really had no idea what to expect as far as attendance. Um, and I think about a week before it started, I mean, we had maybe a couple hundred people signed up. And so, I thought, you know, that'd be a blessing. And that was going to be great. And we were excited about it. I mean, that's 200 pastors from Los Angeles. Um, and then in the last week, we had essentially 800 people sign up. Um, <laughs> um, so... We ended up um, kind of a last push at the end, having um, a little bit over a thousand people in attendance. We had over 200 internationals that came, most of them from the border with Mexico. Um, so we had a big group from Mexicali and Tijuana and Ensenada and such. So that was a, a huge blessing to, to have them here. Um, we also did not kind of expect the uh, amount of people that were going to. Um, watch online. We did do some promotion, uh, encouraging churches to kind of sponsor an event, and we sent them all of the brochures and the uh, printed material that we have here in electronic form so they could print it and kind of promote the conference. And so it was really, really encouraging to see uh, on Facebook and different places how churches would have, you know, 50, 60 people there in their church, and they would be projecting the conference and have the whole church watching it. Um, so we had about 20,000 uh, hits on the live stream that we're watching, um, and uh, that's encouraging. I mean, you don't know how many people are behind every one of those streams, um, but uh, just a, a really um, impactful conference. Uh, we put the videos online a couple of, a couple of weeks after the conference. They've only been up for a month, and we've already had over 100,000 uh, hits on the videos. Um, to give you just a, a picture of kind of what that means among Spanish speakers in Spanish-speaking conference, that the biggest other Christian Spanish-speaking conference that, that happens in the world happens in the DR. John, Pastor John has spoken at it. And I looked at their conference from last year, and they had something like 7,000 views of their videos. So, I mean, we, in one month, the first time we're ever doing this, um, have totally uh, just shadowed... Uh, 
overshadowed everything that, that's being done. And that's obviously completely to the glory of God, but also due to the very hard labor of our pastor and missionaries and grace to you in Spanish and just all the work that's already done. And we just kind of jump in at the end and, and um, get to watch the Lord work. Um, one other uh, just fun comment. Um, typically when people talk about Shepherd's Conference, they talk about how many hard-boiled eggs are eaten. And uh, so we were talking about food for this Spanish conference, and um, I wanted to do just like taco trucks and just kind of Hispanic food. But we wanted to do something special for them, so we did Stone Fire, and uh, we did Chick-fil-A, kind of some fun stuff. But for breakfast, we provided that. And so um, the, uh, the church bought 500 hard-boiled eggs. They weren't even touched. Not even touched. So we fed the entire church. All the maintenance guys came in and ate them. And uh, we bought a 1,000 tamales for each day, and they were gone by 8.30 in the morning. Um, so it was fun to see you know, the difference between something like Shepherd's Conference and something that is obviously has the, the flavor of a Hispanic conference. Um, but uh, the, the other really encouraging thing is a side note is um, now, you know, the two months after the conference, I've been able to kind of filter through all the different registrations and kind of organize them according to what churches people are coming from. And it was just a really, really, I think, unique event in comparison to what we do at Grace Church where we're typically ministering to people that are kind of in our theological circles, um, people that are coming here because they know and love John MacArthur and they love what he teaches and they're sort of on the same page as us theologically. And to go through the list of churches that, that you know, pastors and teachers came, I mean, you're talking, you know, ministry of the Holy Spirit and fire and, you know, just like weird, very Pentecostal uh, churches, uh, some that I wouldn't even think would be evangelical. We got a large number of close to 50 people that came from oneness only Pentecostals. That mean these are people that deny the Trinity. Um, they read the same Bible, but it's you know they manipulate it in the same way that you know someone like, you, like Jehovah's Witness would do. Um, so it was not only an event that our aim was to sort of train up pastors to preach the word. Uh, we also did some evangelism, knowing that that is going on. Um, and so it was, I think it was just a really uh, helpful event um, and uh, encouraging just to see how the Lord is using this church not only globally in missions but also in our community which is something that we don't always kind of get to hear that story um, and I think our institute is one of the, the bigger stories of what this church is doing in our local community um, because we have you know 150 to 200 different Spanish-speaking churches in L.A. County who have sent a pastor or a teacher to our campus to be trained uh, to teach the Word of God. So that obviously affects, you know, 150 churches in our valley. Um, so it's just, you know, praise the Lord that we get to observe that and see what the Lord is doing um, in missions, but in our community. I just to show you a few quick pictures of what the auditorium looks like, full of uh, these Precious brothers, um, 
we had, uh, you know, Pastor John spoke and Steve Lawson spoke were our two English speakers that we had simultaneously translated, uh, which was a different experience for Pastor John. He was laughing about it. He really enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, he's accustomed to speaking in English and then the Spanish speakers have the headphones. So this was different. He, his mic wasn't turned on. Um, you know, he's speaking and his mic is going to Luis, who was in the upper room. And then Luis's voice is coming out through the speakers to the audience. Um, so we actually had a few people from our church who came, because it was a Friday night when Pastor John spoke, and they thought they were going to be able to hear Pastor John speak in English, and uh, didn't happen. Uh, in fact, Jubilant Sykes sang that night, and he sang, and then he went down and sat on the front pew thinking he was going to listen to Pastor John, and then as soon as Lee started translating, he uh, snuck out, because <laughs> he obviously wasn't going to be edified by that. Um, so... Um, it was really neat for the pastors to be able to have that experience of being able to, you know, look at look Pastor John's face and, and hearing uh, his words come out in Spanish. And Pastor John, he just did such an awesome job. It was fun to be standing next to him and hear him. He was singing just at the top of his voice, all the hymns going on in Spanish, and um, really, really uh, enjoyed that time. Then we had some Q&A time. Uh, the one person that we invited that you probably don't know his name is Suhel Michelin. He's a pretty famous uh, pastor from the Dominican Republic uh, on the same page as us theologically um, in most everything. Um, he did just an excellent job, so we were really blessed to have him. Um, the other thing that I was uh, really grateful for is we really tried to use the conference not only as a catalyst for getting students for the institute, but also just all the different ministries that we have at this church in Spanish. So GBI is our, our bookstore, and so they sold, obviously, Spanish books at the conference. They sold out of every single Spanish title that they had by 3 p.m. the first day of the conference. Um, GTY is grace to you, so they obviously had a stand there. Really need to see, you know, all these people. It's like, wait, we can hear Pastor McCarthy. I mean, we can hear him in Spanish, you know, on the radio. We didn't know that. We can go online. It's, it's a lot of people just getting to know that. Generations of Grace, GOG, um, it's just coordinated perfectly. We have a seminary student, Josue Pineda, who is translating Generation of Grace into Spanish, and he finished year one, and they got to print copies of year one of the entire program about two weeks before the conference. And so he printed out a couple hundred copies and we were handing them out. I, I was actually amazed. I th- assumed that most of these churches in L.A. would have children's programs in English and they would be interested in purchasing Generations of Grace in English and that we would then just kind of promote via the live stream for churches in Mexico and, and other countries in, in Central and South America um, to purchase the, the program for their children's program in Spanish in their country. But it turned out there was a, uh, an, an enormous amount of interest in, in buying the program in Spanish uh, here in L.A. So that was very encouraging as well. Uh, the TMS booth, same thing. They handed out every single piece of printed literature they have in Spanish uh, within the first day of the conference. Um, the TMAI schools, we mentioned every single school where they are, Luis in Mexico and Carlos Montoya and Honduras and uh, Alejandro in Argentina and Fernando in Colombia and the guys, David Robles and others in Spain. And so you have a lot of people that are at, you know, at the conference who then have family members in those locations. You have 20,000 people viewing the live stream and we're putting all that information on the slides so that they can see Wait, I mean, there's a team, and there's a school in the city that I live. 
Um, so that was really, really encouraging. And then, obviously, one of the main purposes was to try to get students for our on-campus classes here at edX. Um, so I wanted to talk about that just a little bit. Um, as far as just the blessing um, of kind of the results of the conference. Uh, I think most of you know uh, we do essentially, we take the Master Seminary and we do half of it here to our guys. It's a part-time program. They come at night. Um, we have, this is actually an, a slide that I did for the elders right after the conference. Um, and we had 150 students enrolled. Today we have 250 students enrolled because we had 100 new students who signed up after the conference. Um, so that was kind of the, the purpose of what we were trying to do is not just bless our community through a conference, but get these pastors to uh, get more involved in a in, in more serious level of training. Um, so that uh, resulted uh, in the way that we were looking for. This is I think two Tuesday nights ago, so Monday and Tuesday night uh, on the third floor in the seminary classrooms, um, we teach from 7 to 10 p.m., so I teach on Monday, Monday night I'm doing uh, preaching, and Tuesday night uh, I do a theology class with the, the new, new crop of students, so we have, uh, the photo's not taken from the very back, but the, the classrooms are completely full, there's about 85 uh, in that class, um, so most of these people are uh, pastors or teachers that are, you know, have a secular job and they work all day and then um, they come straight from work to our campus. We provide dinner for them and they study from uh, 7 to 10 p.m. is kind of when the class officially happens. Uh, but most of them get here uh, 6.15, 6.30 and we kind of just interact on a, on a more personal level and, and pray together before the class. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a real special time. It's, it's been a different kind of flavor of class than I'm used to. Um, most, uh, again, most of the students we've had in the past know a little bit more about us and John MacArthur and our doctrine. And this year I've had a little bit more, especially because a bigger group. I'm the first class I start praying and I don't know how many, but at least 10 people have sounded like, you know, start praying in tongues and, and, and doing different things. Um, I had a person last night who stayed uh, and... Uh, stood up and started arguing with me about, uh, he's kind of a KJV only in Spanish, that we're using a Bible that's demonic and uninspired. So, you know, people coming from very different backgrounds. And yet what's encouraging is, um, you know, they're coming and they're wanting to learn. And provided they stay, which most of them do, because there's no other place for them to study, uh, the Word of God is going to transform them, um, if they're believers, of course. Um, so that's just super encouraging um, to, uh, to be a part of that. Um, I think uh, also Fernando Jaimez was here last month, I believe. So just to give you a real quick update. So one of the biggest areas of, gr- uh, areas of growth for us at the Institute is that we have for our pastoral program, um, if someone lives outside of the Los Angeles area, they do a program that's hybrid, modular, and internet. So they take certain classes online, and then their preaching classes and their counseling classes and those sort of things, they have to come to our campus and study with us. And that works really well if they're from the States. It works really well if they're from Mexico and they have the financial resources to get here and they have the clout at the embassy to get a visa to come and, and do that. 
but we've just been finding more and more that most people don't have those resources. And so for the last two years, we have done a module simultaneously here and in Bogota, Colombia. Um, and Fernando has kind of been heading up that extension. So really encouraged to be able to get him down um, to Colombia and start to work on a, an extension there in Colombia and be able to send the majority of the men who need to do these modules down there instead of bringing them all to Los Angeles, which is much more expensive and much more difficult. There, the Lord is just greatly blessed. There's a couple of donors from Colombia um, that have rented a facility, that um, have resources to be able to rent uh, facilities and dorms for, for guys to be able to stay for a couple of weeks um, while they're there for the module. So looks like the Lord has kind of arranged uh, a lot of those things um, to be able to, for that program to be able to flourish. Um, real quick, just two more slides. Uh, the Master Seminary uh, also just really encouraged, since we kind of started teaching some courses in Spanish, we now have 40 Spanish-speaking students enrolled at TMS. Um, so, uh, you know, if you sort of think through long-term what that means. Historically, TMS has had maybe one or two students who speak Spanish and have had an enormous impact. We know their names. You know, it's Luis Contreras and David Robles and Ruben Videra and Fernando, you know, all these guys. And they, there haven't been that many, but their impact has been great because they go back to their country. They not only pastor, but they start an institution and start training pastors. So we tried to be very selective with these guys that have come as well to make sure that we have two from most of the countries that are asking us to start a TMAI. So now we have two students in the Master Seminary from Guatemala, two from El Salvador, two from Chile, two from Argentina, two from Colombia, two from Ecuador, and training them to not only be pastors but also get back to their countries and do some sort of training of pastors in country. So really excited to see what the Lord um, is going to do there. And then also just finally to talk about our own ministry here in Spanish ministry and how TMS and specifically EDEX has kind of jointly blessed our church and then our church blessed EDEX. I think we all kind of live the relationship that the Master Seminary has with our church and the blessing that we can be to them to provide a laboratory of, of ministry training and how we then benefit as well by guys that are highly trained and can preach and such. Well, the same kind of thing happens in Spanish ministry. Uh, to give you a little idea, in 2009 when we came back from Mexico, Spanish ministry was at about 300. And over the course of not too many years, we've doubled. We now pack out both services every Sunday morning. Uh, we have not only a Spanish ministry main service that happens in the chapel, we also now have Sunday school classes um, where we have around 100 people that come t- to both of those services. So um, we kind of have a closer dynamic to what you guys enjoy as far as hearing a sermon and also having a Sunday school class. So um, I'm trying to talk real quick so I can finish with all those details um, and have time to kind of answer some Q&A and um, talk a little bit about ourselves personally if you have questions. But that was a bird's eye overview of what I've been doing for the last year since I was here last. Okay. Um, A couple of you asked, apparently Pastor John said something about me being sick at the conference. 
So um, we had a, a fun week uh, at the end of August um, where I was getting ready for the conference and the first day went and it went really well. Um, and the second day of the conference, which was Saturday, I was supposed to be preaching twice and so I was kind of staying up late getting ready. And uh, my heart just decided that, that was enough. And uh, st- essentially kind of stopped beating and intermittently beating and I kind of passed out. Crystal took me to the ER. Um, so I didn't get to preach at the conference. Um, and what I wanted to share was just the kindness of the Lord in how he orchestrated that event uh, to minister to my soul. And that was that the night before that happened, so Friday night, Pastor John preached. And I was just I was enjoying every moment of, of the conference. I was standing next to Pastor John. He's singing these hymns in Spanish. And um, he gets up there and he starts preaching. And, and to kind of turn around and see, you know, a thousand men who are hearing Pastor John. Um, I just, you know, you, you feel like your heart's going to burst, you know, in, in a spiritual sense. I'm uh, just so grateful. And I was just thanking the Lord for his kindness in allowing all these people to hear this sermon. And that's kind of a confession because about 10 minutes into the sermon, I was like, oh, wait, this sermon's not for them, this sermon's for me. <laughs> I'm going to start listening. Um, <laughs> and he was preaching from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 about an enduring ministry. And he essentially took the entire night to kind of talk about humility, um, that the ministry that we have is a mercy of God, it's something that we deserve. It's not something that we deserve. It's something that God has given to us. Um, and I, I walked away that night. I drove Crystal home. And in the drive home, I told her, you know, whether I preach tomorrow or whether I don't preach, you know, my heart needs to be that, that God is glorified, that Christ is exalted. And that's happening. So praise the Lord. You know, this is, this is success no matter what happens. And it was just a special kindness of the Lord to orchestrate that because in the morning when I woke up and I'm ready to come here and preach in the first session I was I was this close to just taking some steroids and trying to push through and, and see what happens and there was just something about the way that the Lord communicated the night before that I don't need to preach for him to be glorified God doesn't need me um, that allowed me to have the peace to say no I'm I'm going to call in sick. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, someone else is going to preach and they're going to do great. Um, and that was obviously the right choice. Um, I was unconscious for the first day, um, all day Saturday. Just kind of in a weird, dangerous rhythm. Um, there's some nurses in the crowd, so I, I, but I won't give too many details. But um, My heart rate was from 250 down to about 20, and I was in and out of consciousness. Um, and they took me to the ER to cardiovert me, which is where they stop your heart and then restart it. And it turns out, and they didn't ever find out why, but I have a metal valve and I take a lot of blood thinners to keep me from having a stroke. And it turns out that the medicine just wasn't having the effect that it's supposed to. And so my blood, I was, I was at a 9 out of 0.8. I'm supposed to be at about 3. Um, and so they did a... They did a um, a scan where they stick a video camera down your throat and take a look at your heart to see if you have any clots. And it looked like there's evidence 
of a clot, so they started putting me on some IV blood thinners. But the whole point is that if, if all that doesn't happen, I probably have a stroke and either die or lose my memory. And the Lord just orchestrated all that to get me to the hospital right when I needed to get to the hospital, uh, get me on the medication that I needed to be on, um, and take care of me. Um, and so they weren't able to cardiovert me, so I stayed for about three days in this uh, weird rhythm. And uh, then um, Monday, it had been Monday night, um, someone sent me a link to Pastor John on Sunday night talking about us and watched it, cried a little bit with Crystal. An hour later, I just, you know, I hadn't slept in, I think, about four days. And I was just kind of going crazy. And I looked at Crystal and I said, I don't know how much longer I can take this. And I've never had anything happen like this before. The second I said this, my heart turned back to sinus rhythm. Completely normal. Um, and I, I just looked at Crystal and said, I'm back. <laughs> He's like, what do, what do you mean you're back? No, I'm back. My heart's fine. Uh, she's like, what? And uh, the nurse comes running in because I was in the ICU, so they're constantly monitoring it. And she's like, do you know you're in sinus rhythm? I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. Um, so, yeah, I, I got out. I'm going call to the, call the doctor um, and let him know. And he said, okay, you're fine. You can go home. And uh, so came home and I went back to work. <laughs> Because um, there were lots to do. So um, the unfortunate thing for my wife is that she drove from that ER at Senior Side Eye to our home, picked up our son, and drove to UCLA. Um, and Silas had surgery on his foot the next day. Um, so she got home, I think, at 10 p.m., and then he had surgery at 5.30 a.m. the next morning. Uh, so she slept in a hospital for a full week at Cedars and then at UCLA. Um, but that surgery went really, really well. They did a tendon transfer where they took two tendons on one side of his foot and put them on the other. Um, and he recovered great. He was in a cast for six weeks. Um, and a full recovery from the surgery. The funny story about our son, is that he's essentially, you guys know, he's been in a cast essentially his entire life. And the surgeon told him after this surgery, you know, we can't do another surgery on you until you're about 10, so you're going to be out of a cast. You're going to be an orthotic for the next five years. And he was just ecstatic. And he's got these visions of how he's going to be running. He doesn't know that his, he has no, you know, his muscles and, and tendons and such aren't strong enough yet, but he has all these visions as what he's going to be doing. And so we said we're going to go to the beach the next day. He gets the cast off, and the next day, I can't tell you who because I don't want to slander, but, you know, he couldn't walk it, so he's still in a wheelchair. And another child was pushing him and slammed him against a wall and fractured his foot 20 hours after he got his cast off. So he starts bawling, you know, am I going to have to have another surgery? And it's just, I only share all these things, not to get pity, but to just communicate how kind the Lord is because it was a hairline fracture. We'll get to walk through pray with him. I feel like he's starting to understand salvation for the first time, just broken, um, prayed, 
that, okay, Daddy, I'm okay with being in a cast, but if, if God would allow me to not have surgery again, you know, could God do that for me? You can ask. You can always ask, son. Um, and so, yeah, the, the tendon transfer went fine. He was in a cast for two weeks, and they took it off, and he's, he's now without a cast, and we're doing physical therapy at home. He's not able to walk yet, but uh, he's in very, very good spirits. Still haven't gotten to the beach, but he got a bath, which is a really big deal. Because when he got his cast off, we were thinking, oh, we're going to go to the beach the next day, so we'll just wait on the bath. And when he broke it again, so it was like he hadn't had a bath in like six months. Um, but uh, anyhow. So that's a little update on us. We are all uh, praising the Lord. We're all doing well. Um, Crystal is a little bit sick today, so she was not able to come. But she's doing uh, homeschool with the kids, but also has Monday and Friday. She does CC and she does Gorman, so the kids get to get out and interact with, with other kids, which is good for them especially unbelievers who like hit them and make fun of them and, and such. So we get to get home and have some good conversations. So we're really, really doing well on that front. But, okay. I'm done, I think. Questions? I remember yeah. that, I'm sorry. No. That Crystal used to prepare food. Yeah. Yeah. So she still always does the first class. Um... Because they, you know, they come and they don't know us yet, and we don't have a sign-up sheet and all that kind of stuff. Um, to do, you know, three classes now that we have grown to do three classes and feed two hundred people um, is not realistic with three kids <laughs> and, a, and a husband in the hospital. So <laughs> we have um, essentially she'll she'll do the first day to kind of launch, and she often does the last day as well. Uh, while she cooks, but um, then during the semester we have kind of a sign up and they all participate and, and bring food. Now, how large was the group when you yeah, I think we started with about 30. Um, yeah, and it was 30, I think the biggest difference, it was 30 mainly from our church or from kind of some Timothys that Master Seminary grads were sending us. And now we've extended to you know, becoming more known in the Spanish-speaking communities. We have, since so many Spanish guy uh, students came into TMS this past year, I have now six guys working with me at, at EDEX. And so we just have a better team to be able to, to do the things that I've always wished we could do, but we haven't had the personnel to do. And that is, for example, we took flyers to every Spanish-speaking bookstore within 50 miles. We, we took brochures to every Spanish-speaking church within 30 miles of, of our church. And we got you know, information to everyone because they just don't know. Um, they don't necessarily have the connections and the network that exists in the English-speaking world. Um, their churches aren't even registered, so there's no way to kind of find them other than just driving around and... And, you know, having a big stack of stuff. And, but they're everywhere. You know, all these Spanish-speaking churches. If you drive around in Van Nuys, there's one on every corner. Um, so we were able to kind of get all of that brochure in their hands and then and see the fruit of that. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, question here and then. Thank you. Um, I, think, I think wisdom right now, in, we have some decisions uh, actually just talked to Pastor John this morning about direction as we grow. There's always some transitions going on in outreach right now as well, and we're kind of rethinking how to, 
how, how can TMS and TMAI kind of um, serve the, the Spanish-speaking world better than we've ever done before? Um, how can we utilize the resources that we already have here on campus? How can we work better together? Because um, uh, we, we've kind of been doing some work now, but uh, you kind of get in the tendency now that all these places are kind of doing their own deal and you're creating kind of things from scratch, and how can we have better communication? And, and so um, just the Lord would give me wisdom to be able to serve not only here, but kind of serve those other institutions in the best way that I can. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, I've told some stories in the past. You know, it's, I can usually tell within about three to four weeks um, what's going to happen to these guys when they show up on our campus because... Uh, you know, we had about, I think, about 110 who showed up for the first class. You know, and about 30 of them just drop out immediately. And that's understandable. You know, they're just so different from us. They don't even really want to hear the Bible. They thought I was going to give them some kind of trick to grow their church, or I don't know what they thought. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't give them what they were hoping for. Uh, but the guys that stay and you know, receive those first few classes which we do in hermeneutics and just the nature of what the scripture is. The scripture is sufficient to answer any question that we have. Um, you know, the guys that, that understand that, that come to understand that and accept that and to believe that, they don't know all the changes that are going to happen in their heart and mind over the next couple of years. But I've, I've seen it happen enough times now that I know where they're heading. Because once you accept, okay, the Bible is going to be my only source of truth, like, you don't necessarily see what a train wreck's going to happen with your prophecies and your tongues and all that stuff in about a year. But it's, hap- it's going to happen. And you're going to be confronted with, okay, it's either scripture or these prophecies. Um, and if you're convinced and have a conviction that scripture is the authority in your life, sooner or later they're going to get to that point. And so we've, we've seen actually one of the, the biggest promoters of the Institute right now is a guy named Saul Cifuentes. And he, he came in, you know, as Pentecostal as anyone that I've ever known. Um, and um, he now not only went through the Institute, he, his church sponsors a uh, location in Guatemala, the town that he's from, where he has family there. They rent out a building every Saturday and bought a computer and a projector and everything so that all the pastors and teachers from that town can come to this location and watch our videos and live streams and interact. And I Skype with them every month. Um, and he's sponsoring all of it. He goes down every six months and, uh, and, and meets with them. Um, and it's, you know, I, I've preached at his church a number of times. You know, the first time I went... The kids had to leave. It was so loud. Their ears rang for about a day and a half. Um, and everyone's jumping up and down and screaming. You know, it's, a, it's just an unorderly mess. And now, I mean, literally, you walk in and there's 80 people with MacArthur Study Bibles on their laps, you know, wanting to hear a sermon. Whereas the first time, you know, I had 15 minutes to preach. And this time they're wanting a 50-minute exposition. Um, so... Um, it's just a testimony to me of you know, when you have a believer and the Holy Spirit dwells within them, they're going to want the truth of the Word of God. They're going to want to grow. They're going to want the meat of the Scriptures. And unfortunately, the problem is so many of them just don't even have access to it. They don't even know what that would be like. They've just never even heard 
but we get to enjoy every week, two, three, four, five times a week on this campus. Um, so it's a, it's a reminder of how privileged we are. Uh, it's a reminder of the power of the Holy Spirit to work through the Word of God in, in transforming hearts um, as well. I, I think so. I mean, someone always wants more helpers because <laughs> um, the task is just always unfinished. You know, the task is always just vast. Um, but we have, you know, five, time, uh, five times better team than we've ever had. Not only at Edex, but also at the seminary. I mean, we have, um, we have a team of, of guys at the seminary, Dani Corral and uh, Pepe, uh, Jose Alcivar, and Alberto Solano. And then we have a, a group at the Institute. I'm looking at wives here, so I've got to make sure I remember all their husbands' names. <laughs> Uh, we have Jonathan Willoughby and Jose Soria and Jose Carlos Martinez and Santiago Romel and Eduardo Izquierdo. I mean, we got to, compared to when we started, I was by myself asking you ladies to pray. Um, I know that you pray because now there's like nine or ten compared to zero. So keep on praying um, that the Lord would continue to provide because obviously the more help we have, the more influence we have for the glory of God um, in Spanish-speaking contexts. Yeah, so the question I don't know if everyone heard is, you know, sort of what kinds of students are the ones that come to the Institute? I think that that depends on a lot of factors. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think we'd have a lot of people that come sort of directly from Catholicism to us, but have gotten saved, and then, you know, a lot of them do have a Catholic background. But it's, it's actually one of the dynamics in Latin America that, that many of us don't know is just how post-Catholicism, so much of Latin America is. Um, and that is, you know, if I, would, if I would go into my class and ask them, how many of you come from a Catholic background, probably less than half would raise their hand at this point. Um, because they are now, uh, I mean, maybe their parents were Catholic, but they grew up in an evangelical Pentecostal church. So I would say 60 to 70% of our guys are coming from Pentecostal backgrounds. And it's a Pentecostalism that is, um, that is worse than maybe what we're accustomed to in, in our circles. I mean, it is kind of the worst of the worst, the kind of stuff that Pastor John talked about, strange fire of people you know, laying on the floor and, and rolling over and holy barking and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's kind of where they're coming from, where they're so far from the truth, so far from Scripture, I mean, they're denying the Trinity. I mean, you've got to be pretty far from Scripture that you're denying the deity of Christ and, and, and the Trinity and, and, and things like that. Um, so I would say the majority of our people are coming from that sort of background. Yeah. Um, countries like El Salvador, I would say, currently, Guatemala especially, would, would probably have more nominally evangelical people today than nominally Catholic. Like, practi- like practicing religion, definitely more people that practice, Christ- you know, quote-unquote Christianity in Guatemala than those who practice Catholicism. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're actually, one of the things that we're working on this week to finish up is a chapter in the TMAI book, and we're doing it on sort of the prosperity gospel, the false Christ um, that is exalted in Latin America that sort of you control um, by your, you know, prayers and such. So um, it's a, it's a, it's a battlefront, you know, for for us 
um, that it's yeah not the the typical understanding that we have of Latin America that it's you know all Catholic. Um, uh, there's a move toward Christianity in the sense that you have a lot of people that went from kind of the traditionalism of Catholicism to the emotionalism of Pentecostalism. The the great opportunity that's there is that in Catholicism it was not only tradition but it was don't read the Bible. Whereas in Pentecostalism, although it's wrought with error, there is an encouragement to go to the scriptures. And so that's kind of our in um, to you know, continue to encourage them to search the scriptures. Um, uh, in fact, one of the, uh, I'll share this and then be done. One of the top reasons we ask people in their application, you know, why, how did you hear about the Institute? Why are you coming? Um, it was almost like a random sermon that I did on tongues. One of my students in a class asked me if I could preach a sermon on how to talk to someone who speaks in tongues, like someone who claims to be a Christian but speaks in tongues, what would you say to them? And so with not a whole lot of prep, it was just kind of an idea. Then Henry gets sick, and I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so I preached it uh, Sunday morning uh, about a year and a half ago. And uh, I, I don't know how many thousand hits it has now on YouTube. But all I do is basically say, okay, I would encourage him to go to 1 Corinthians 14, 26, and 27, where Paul says, if someone's going to preach in tongues, it should be maximum three people. They've got to speak in, you know, in turn, one by one, and there has to be translation. And so if you walk into a church and you see 50 people all speaking in tongues without translation, I can tell you that that's not from the Lord. I can tell you the Holy Spirit is not doing that because he wouldn't be encouraging someone to disobey his word. Um, and you know, then I kind of go into some other theological things, which is kind of a simple explanation and a lot of people just I'd never and I'd never read first Corinthians 14 you know and I sat down and I read it and it's like I couldn't believe it and I went to church it's like wait we're disobeying and I went and talked to my pastor and he's like he told me to told me I was crazy and to get out and so now I'm here (laughs) praise the Lord praise the Lord you're right where you need to be so it's just so I'm in a very very privileged position where I get to stand on the shoulders of Pastor John and so many other people who have worked very hard to provide this opportunity, um, and to have then access to a lot of people who are hungry to hear what the Word of God says. So I'm thankful for you ladies and for your prayers, and uh, I think that's it. Thank you so much. I'm going to close in prayer. Thank you. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. And after I close in prayer, if you ladies can stay, I want to talk to you regarding next week regarding a luncheon for Jill. And I'll go over that with you. So let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you, Lord. I just thank you for just hearing the ministry of what's going on with Josiah, Lord, and just your love and your guidance and just of the blessing that you poured upon him, Lord. Lifting up the Spanish, the Expositors Institute, Lord, and just the training to, to train Spanish pastors and speaking, just to, for them to come to know you, Lord, and understand your word, the real word, the truth. We thank you so much. Blessed for many that are coming to the conference, Lord, to hear the message of who you are, Lord. And not just by their own mind, and just by your word, through the Holy Spirit, we just thank you, Lord. A desire for them to want to hear and just understand to go out to 
to preach to other churches, Lord, of your word and your truth, Lord. And desire to want to come here to the, the Institute and to TMS and a hunger of just wanting to share the word to all over the, the Spanish-speaking area, Lord. We thank you for the TMS, for the 40 Spanish-speaking to spread God's word, Lord. And just it just takes one, Lord, and it just starts a multitude of just going from word to word, Lord, from man to man, just to teach your word. Come before you, just lift up Josiah and his healing, bring him back, Lord, to, to life. And just by through the Holy Spirit, of just your the prayer through the people to pray for his health and also for Crystal, knowing that the love she has for her husband, Lord. And just, I'm, I don't know what she went through, Lord, but you do, Lord. And just her love for you and her husband, Lord. Just thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for Silas, Lord, for the healing of his, his, his leg, Lord, and just, even though it broke again, but it just wasn't too serious that you were healing again, and that he's off the cast, and praying that um, you just have your hand upon him, Lord, and just as he grows to be a little fine young man, Lord, an opportunity just to hear your word through his dad, Lord, of trials in his life as we do as adults go through, Lord, that doesn't matter what age, we all go through it, but we can give you the glory, Lord. And then we lift up Crystal for you, Lord. She's not feeling well today, Lord, that you bring healing to her, Lord, and have an opportunity that she'll be able to rest. It's hard as a mom to try to rest, but the opportunity that she'll be able to do, though. And just wisdom and decision for um, Josiah and Crystal is to see so many changes going on, what is best for them, and how they can serve in the Spanish ministry of how to lead these young men, Lord, of um, sharing the gospel. Lift up these ladies before you also, Lord, as they go out today, Lord, and just uh, protect and watch them when they go home and be with them today. And we just thank you for the many blessings, Lord, for all these ladies here. For we ask in your precious name. Amen.